Welcome back to the program. You're listening to the Atlas Radio Show on the legendary oraclebroadcasting.com. And this is part one of our multiple part series on anarchism and uh, things of that sort. With us today in the second hour is our guest, who is noted philosopher Stefan Molino, who will be with us uh, this hour. Stefan is a blogger, essayist, author, and host of the Freedom Main Radio series of podcasts, living in uh, Mississauga. Well, how, do you say, how do you say that word, Stefan? Uh, Mississauga. Mississauga, Canada. Uh, he has written numerous articles and smaller essays which have been published on Liberty-oriented websites such as LouRockwell.com, Antiwar.com, and Strike the Brute. Uh, he's recorded over 1,300 podcasts, I believe, if I uh, heard you correctly at your, uh, your keynote speech at the Liberty Forum. It's up to 1,500 now. And uh, written numerous books, which are all self-published except for his first, which was published by Publish America. And the second... Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. I just lost the audio for a second, but I'm back. (laughs) Good, good, good. Well, we are happy to have you with us today, Steph. Thank you. It's it's wonderful to be here. I certainly do appreciate the invitation. Awesome. And uh, this is the Atlas Radio Show. Uh, uh, We give a little call out in that respect to uh, the great Mrs. Uh, Ayn Rand. If you will. Absolutely. <laughs> I am a massive fan of the Rand, so uh, yeah. I'm happy to be associated with that. Yeah, thank you, thank you. She was, she was, uh, she was about her business. Uh, so, Stefan, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Um, one of the things, that I, one of the things that I'm very interested in in uh, concerning your background is, uh, and how much time do we have until the, we've got two and a half minutes? Is um, is how you went from computer software programming to being the uh, the well-noted uh, anarchist philosopher that you are now? Well, uh, I guess uh, I've certainly got into philosophy like many people did through the works of Ayn Rand when I was a teenager. Uh, about I was 16 when I first read The Fountainhead. A friend of mine gave it to me because he was a huge fan of Rush, the drummer of whom uh, is a big fan of Rand. And that was the, the rock and roll to philosophy connection. And uh, then mm-hmm. I studied... Uh, I studied philosophy, I studied history, um, and I got my master's degree from the University of Toronto focusing on the history of philosophy. And so it really, philosophy was the thing, but philosophy is not so much with the putting the bread in your mouth, right? It's, <laughs> it's good for getting the words out of your mouth, not so good for getting the carbs back in. So, um, of yeah, course, no, I had been interested in computers since I was, I don't know, 11 or 12, and I sort of bought and built my first computer. And so I got into uh, IT, and I ended up co-founding a company in 1996, 1995, uh, and uh, was chief technical officer there for seven years, worked uh, at a couple of other companies as technical directors or directors of marketing, and uh, I had a long commute, and uh, so I started recording podcasts in my car during my commute and uh, publishing them more as a sort of fun hobby uh, than anything else, and then after a while, people said they found them you know, useful enough that they wanted to donate. So I opened that up and uh, slowly began to build, I guess, uh, the basis for some sort of income. Took a massive savage pay cut to start doing this full time about uh, two, uh, two years ago. And that's uh, sort of how I got into it. So in a sense, I mean, no, it sounds like philosophy is a big deviation from uh, you know, software stuff that I was into. But in a way, the software stuff was more of a deviation from the philosophy stuff that I've been into for uh, almost 25 years now. Wow! Wow, that's that really, is really impressive. That's interesting. You wouldn't think that. Uh, you wouldn't think that that uh, that process would kind of happen. That that path is a, is an odd one to follow. We're coming up on a break right now. We have Stefan Molyneux, the noted philosopher, freedomainradio.com with us today. Coming up after the break, we are going to continue with our interview. So stick around. You're listening to the Atlas Radio program on OracleBroadcasting.com. 
Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Atlas Radio Program on the legendary oraclebroadcasting.com. With us today is noted philosopher Stefan Molyneux. I am the HX along with my co-host and partner in crime, Corey, a.k.a. Sizzle. Uh, hey, we're talking hey. to Stefan. And uh, this segment, I wanted to ask Stefan, um, where are my questions here? Uh, I wanted to just to, 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 to get what's really important, like kind of upfront and out of the way. Uh, so you'll be debating the, uh, the, the iconoclastic Michael Bagnerick soon. And uh, could you tell us a little bit about that, uh, the where's and the when's, and why you think this debate will be interesting and useful toward advancing the understanding of liberty? Well, I certainly appreciate that. Yes, uh, I, uh, I have been on Michael Badnarik's show before, and uh, he obviously is a very, very smart uh, uh, fellow and very well learned, of course, about he teaches a course on the Constitution. And uh, so it's going to be in Philadelphia, and uh, it's going to be, uh, I'm speaking with, Mike, uh, with, with uh, Larkin uh, on um, uh, the 4th of July. Uh, it's going to be at an outdoor venue. And on the 5th, uh, uh, Michael Badnarik and I will be debating how much government is necessary, which is a fundamental question around the liberty movement, right? Which is, since we are very dedicated to the principle that the initiation of the use of force is immoral, yes. and the government is defined as an institution that claims the legal right to initiate force in a given geographical area, we have a problem if we're aiming at reducing but not eliminating government. And... So, of course, Michael Badnarik will be taking the reducing. I will be taking the eliminating through reason, argument, and moral courage, the, uh, the, uh, the, the state. And so I think it's a really, really essential, essential debate because we certainly don't want to be aiming at the wrong thing, right? I mean, obviously, he believes that reducing the government back to its um, constitutional limits would be advantageous. I believe that is not the correct or, or a pragmatic course for bringing about uh, human liberty, and I think it's really, really essential. So many people are putting so much effort into this cause and so much admirable moral courage, financial resources. People are pouring heart and soul into this. And if there is a substantive disagreement about how we're going to achieve or what it is we're going to achieve, I think we need to hack, uh, hash that out or at least have the two positions as clearly uh, described as possible so that people can make sure that they are going to apply their substantial efforts in the right direction. So if people want to get more information about this, they can go to um, the homepage of my website, um, freedomainradio.com, www.freedomainradio.com. And there's a link to a Facebook page which has uh, information about this. So we have uh, a, a good long time for a debate and questions, uh, and I can promise you that it's going to be crackling good entertainment. Michael Badnarik <laughs> is a very good speaker. Uh, I have been known to rip off a few good uh, uh, sound bites myself, uh, and uh, if people want to know sort of how it is that I uh, present to an audience, there is um, uh, on the homepage of freedomainradio.com, there's also a link to the speech that I gave in New Hampshire in March. I was the keynote speaker for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, and we had uh, uh, two hours of rousing. I I'm very much into audience participation. I mean, it's not that much fun to just have someone drone at you from a podium. So uh, it was a Q&A period for the most part, and with some really really funny and very, of course, very intelligent uh, libertarians, minarchists, and anarchists. So I hope that people will check that out and will come to Philly. It's free, uh, so it's definitely worth uh, coming. I think it's going to be a very, a very pivotal debate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very interesting, uh, very interesting keynote speech there, uh, full of guns and bad metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely terrible. I think I talked about diarrhea at one point, and I'm yeah, not sure that that wow. got my point across the way that I wanted to, but it certainly was memorable. And that's in a way that only diarrhea can be. So yeah. um, 
Yeah, I, I promise to clean up and not metaphorically some of the metaphors for uh, for Philadelphia. Oh no, I don't think that would be you if we didn't have the bad <laughs> That's metaphors. Right. If the metaphors don't go wrong, I'm not yeah. driving. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, uh, and it's it's interesting that you bring up that that keynote speech. It was a, a really fascinating. Uh, um, uh, it was a fascinating display on how uh, the on the philosophy in action uh, as opposed to. Um, uh, as opposed to people with their with, with other ideas and you know the whole devil devil's advocate I, th I found that to be very admirable one of the things that we like to do here is is confront dissent more than anything uh, you know <laughs> we don't really want to preach to the choir you know I'm not really it's, I'm, I'm not really so much interested in, in talking to people who do who agree with me that's easy and it doesn't really advance uh, it doesn't really advance things very far oh no uh, now I'm, I'm gonna have to disagree with you no I'm just kidding oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> But and during that during that keynote speech, um, uh, Adam Kokesh was able to uh, ask you a question uh, about uh, the common uh, collective self-defense. And I wanted to kind of uh, get into to that a little bit. I know that your focus isn't so much the why or is the why, but rather than the how. But let's talk about uh, self-defense for a moment in context with reality, because uh, this is a stumbling point with many minarchists that would otherwise be fully committed to the idea of a stateless society. Sure. Um, in terms of you know we can uh, we can talk our philosophy really all we want, but when you have uh, and, and that's fine within our national boundaries I think, but when you when you talk about the stateless society, uh, I, I believe that you have to come with that in 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 context of of there are going to be other governments that don't that don't subscribe to this at all. So we're you know we'll be faced with a situation where where we may be in fact able to achieve the stateless society, but how do we keep you know, uh, how do we keep a billion Chinese from uh, stripping the opportunity from us? Uh, it's an excellent question. I'll, I'll, uh, and this available. I have a whole chapter on this in my free book, uh, Practical Anarchy, on my website. But I'll give you two real brief points, and then you can tell me if I'm, you know, full of uh, manure or not. The, <laughs> the first point is that uh, collective self-defense has become enormously cheap. Uh, relative to the past. So of course, in the past, up until the Second World War, you had to have massive uh, standing armies and conscription and huge uh, fleets of ships, and then you had to have massive air, force, air forces. And so it was very, very expensive because there was no weapons of mass, there were no weapons of mass destruction. Now, mm -hmm. uh, it's not the case. A, a country who, which has a nuclear device, uh, nuclear missiles, has never been attacked uh, at all, ever, right? So, so to keep a couple of nukes uh, uh, on standby in a stateless society would cost people uh, about three bucks a year. And I'm sure that people who care about national self-defense would, uh, would it, it's, it's the ultimate deterrent and it has, it's why there's been no World War III, right? And of course, it's why the U.S. is happy to aggress against uh, nations that do not possess weapons of mass destruction and negotiates with those countries that do. So first, first and foremost, the problem of national defense, you don't want to look at it from the huge standing army historical perspective, from, but rather from the very small cost uh, nuclear deterrent perspective. That would be the first thing I would say. The second thing is that um, think of, two, think of two, two areas of land, right? Then you're some greedy guy and you want to go and take over someone's land. And on one of them, there is a functioning farm, which is very profitable. Uh, you know, it's got cows and chickens and all these kinds of good things and makes a fortune and all the workers are there and they don't leave and so on. And another guy's piece of land is just this massive wilderness where if you go in, you're going to have to, you know, with the bugs and the swamps and the leeches, you're going to have to carve out the, the, the land from the trees and hack things down. And it's going to you're going to want to die. Right. If you've ever had to do something like this in your life. And I worked up north after my high school years. Uh, it's a brutal, brutal life. 
if you have this choice, you obviously, if you want to go and take over someone's land, you're going to want to take over the farm because it's already productive, it's already making money and so on. And this is the case between when you take over a status society versus an anarchic society. What you're trying to do when you invade a status society is to take over the tax collection system. But in the free society, our, there is no tax collection system, so there's nothing to invade right. and take over. All right, I'll stop because yeah, I know we got a commercial. Uh, but that was, yeah, we was definitely a got a break coming up. Uh, check, the, check the interview at the next segment. Welcome back to the program. You are listening to the Atlas Radio Show on the one and only Oracle Broadcasting Network on the HX. With me, as always, is my co-host, Corey. And with us today in the second hour is our guest, a noted philosopher, Stefan Molyneux. And we are definitely not getting any Arab money over here at Atlas Radio, Steph. But you were... <laughs> You were talking about well, – let's wrap up with the, uh, with the issue of the uh, common defense, if you will. You were talking about the guy with the farm. Yeah, so uh, if, if you're going to invade a country, the reason you're going to invade that country is to get a hold of the tax resources, right? So I've got a video out there which is quite popular which describes countries as a form of tax farming, right? So you have mm. these citizens and you collect taxes from them. They're a resource like livestock, like cows Absolutely. and so on. I actually so wrote a song to- once, not, not to interrupt you, but I actually wrote a song once where uh, one of the lines is that, is that we're being uh, farmed for our productive capacity. So I, I definitely agree with that. Oh, absolutely. And you know, this, is, this has a whole host of other issues like immigration is necessary because intelligent human beings don't breed well in captivity, you know, like great white sharks, <laughs> uh, which is why birth rates continue to decline. But so when you want to invade a country, it's because you want to take over the existing tax structure. And that, of course, is what you see when one country takes over another or when there's a revolution. The first thing that is grabbed is the revenue service so that, and of course, control of the money supply. And so if you're going to invade an anarchist country, the problem is, well, what are you going to take over? Well, you're going to take over a, a, a relatively armed population. There's no central authority. There's no government tax collection system. So if you want to collect taxes, you kind of have to gonna go door to door, right? Which is kind of a mess, right? So it's really uh, – so I think, first of all, the, the, the defense can be collective. The defense can be subscribed to. But most importantly, it's really, really tough to invade – an anarchist society because there's no authority that you're going to displace, take over, and there's no tax harvesting mechanism that you can profit from. So it really is not like taking over an existing farm. It's like going into a wilderness and having to hack something out. It's just not worth it. And you and you you would propose that uh, that this would be a pursuit that would be dis- would would not be advantageous to an aggressor. Well, it's not profitable, right? I mean, war fundamentally is about profit, and, and war is only profitable if you can, what economists say, externalize the cost, right? So if you can get other people to pay for your war, then that's great. And you do that by taxing your domestic population and also by taking over the taxation system of the country you're invading. So when the Nazis invaded you know, Czechoslovakia and Austria and France, what they did immediately was to take over the tax collection system, and that's the resource that you're going to invade to collect. But of course, that resource does not exist in a stateless society. There is no tax collection mechanism. And so there's really nothing uh, to take over. And so it's really, really tough to, to make any kind of profit. I would say impossible to make any kind of profit by invading a stateless society. That's a very interesting perspective. Well, we'll move on. Uh, this show is primarily concerned with activism and updates on uh, various activist causes, Steph. And one of the things that I, uh, I'd like you to do today is to lend us your perspective on uh, those particular struggles which you find to be uh, the most effective in advancing freedom. I would be very happy to. That's certainly um, what, uh, what I try to be all about. So anything I can do to help, I will. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. If you could uh, just let us know, like, uh, what, what struggles do you feel uh, are, are most effective towards towards getting us to the point where, where we need to be? <laughs> well, why don't you lob me the easy questions like national defense <laughs> and how to define the movement first? Let me just have another sip of my latte and I'll, I'll go on. <laughs> Well, uh, I, I mean, the, the, the tag for my website has always been the logic of personal and political liberty. And there has been a long and noble, but I would argue ultimately a futile struggle to attempt to convince people through intellectual argument alone, right? And, and through political means and so on. And I have some, I think, pretty justifiable skepticism towards the, the efficacy of that approach. I just, you know, it's been tried... I mean, you could go back to Socrates 2,500 years ago. You could go mm -hmm. back to the rise of the classical liberals in the 19th century, or more specifically, the foundation of the modern libertarian party in the U.S. in the early 70s. And you could say, well, the goal was to reduce the size of government, but government has continued to grow since these movements were founded. So to me, there's something missing from what it is that we're doing. I hope that there's something missing, because if we're doing everything right and we're still getting the crap kicked out of us, oh, then we have no hope, right? So Lord, we, the, best thing, think, the best thing we can hope for is that something huge is missing from what we're doing, but there's something that's very hard to see. And uh, to me, that comes down to uh, really uh, living your personal values in your personal relationships. I think that we need to lead people through the example of liberty and a real commitment to our values. And this is, of course, a very controversial thing that I say. So <laughs> I'm certainly happy to take calls, questions, and criticisms about it. But, yeah, uh, absolutely. And we'll be doing that in the third hour. The phone lines will be open. Uh, you'll be able to uh, contact us. What, Cecil, what's the number? It's 866-841-1065. And the local number is 512-904-8014. That's 866-841-1065. Um, actually, um, not to interrupt what we were at, I um, actually had a point and I wanted to get this in, but we kind of moved on real quick. You uh, not to backtrack too much, but you said that um, you didn't believe that a that anyone would try to attack the United States or anyone that has nuclear weapons. But um, North Korea certainly is talking about lobbing nukes at Hawaii. So what do you think about that? Oh, and certainly we attack Pakistan on a regular basis, which is nuclear uh -huh. armed as well. Well, okay. I mean, first of all, um, the, I mean, this is really complicated stuff. And again, I'll just touch it briefly. And if people have questions, yourselves included, we can go into it in more detail. Uh, first of all, I mean, the reason why uh, North Korea is, is talking about lobbying uh, nukes is because the U.S. is uh, threatening North Korea, right? So in a stateless society, there's nobody, almost nobody, who's going to want to pony up hundreds or thousands of dollars a year for the local defense agency to go around poking in hornet's nests like... Uh, Iran, uh, Iraq, uh, South America, North Korea, and so on. And so this is, uh, this is the result of statism, not of a stateless society. A stateless society would not be able, the defense agency simply would not be able to send a bill and keep its customers if it said, you need to give me $3,000 so I can go and station 100,000 troops along the border of North, uh, of, of, uh, North and South Korea, right? That's just not, nobody would pay for that. So we wouldn't be over there poking in that rat's nest and getting these uh, aggressors to come after us. So that would be the first thing that I would say. The second thing is that um, uh, the, 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 there are wars that are fought that are sort of proxy wars, right? So the U.S. and the USSR fought a proxy war in Korea and fought a proxy war in um, uh, Vietnam, to just name a few. Well, Afghanistan and so, as well. Yeah, and, yeah, and Afghanistan. So, so what is going on in, in Pakistan, and I'm certainly no expert, but this is just what I've, what I've gleaned, is that there is a kind of proxy war that's, that's going on 
But of course, uh, it's, it's, it's very complicated because the U.S. is supplying an enormous amount of arms in that region, right? The U.S. is the biggest arms dealer in the world, which is kind of like having a police force that makes most of its money arming the mafia, right? It really doesn't make any sense uh, from a rational uh, standpoint, but only makes sense from a status standpoint because we pay for the guns and they keep the profits from selling them. So it's a good business for them, but it's blood and money for us, right? So I think you have to look at how these things came about and they came about because of an aggressive and violent and interventionist foreign policy, which is only possible financially under a forced taxation system of statism. I would have to agree with that totally. I just wanted you, uh, wanted you to reiterate that because I'm sure that was a question that a lot of people out there were asking. Yeah, it was definitely a, definitely a critical point to uh, a, a definitely a critical point to raise. I don't think that uh, I think that Stefan makes an excellent point in, in that uh, I think what he's trying to say here, and you can correct me if I'm wrong uh, after the break because we're coming up on it, uh, is that uh, is that if we don't have the the massive uh, military industrial complex and we only have those resources which are required for the common defense, then then most of these issues won't be arising. So, Steph, what you're saying is that they are sponsored out of the state. So, in absence of the state, these problems won't exist. Well, sure. I mean, the question is, why is North Korea only threatening to lob missiles at um, America rather than, say, Switzerland? Well, because uh, Switzerland is not arming, is not got them encircled uh, with uh, with uh, military, uh, with uh, an army and, and heavy artillery and so on. So uh, it is clearly uh, an act of self-defense. Of course, this is not All to right. say that right. it's not an evil <laughs> government, but we're sort of going out there and poking at it. And that's why they're... We'll be back on the other we- side, ladies and gentlemen, with Stephen Molyneux. Welcome to the program that welcomes dissent. You're listening to Atlas Radio on the legendary oraclebroadcasting.com. Uh, I am the one and only HX. With me is my homeboy, Corey. And we are to we are at the bottom of the second hour with our noted guest, Stefan Molyneux. Welcome back to the program, sir. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And How old are you guys? Just out of curiosity. Uh, I am 33 years old. 33 years old. Okay. If, if I'm less than a decade older, I don't accept the word, sir. Just just in case you were wondering. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. If you were well, 20, 20, absolutely. But, I'm yeah, 40, sir. so there we go. I'll call you sir. H has to call you brother. So That's right. That's right. Keep it keep it correct there, sizzle. <laughs> <laughs> sir, yes, sir. That's right. And, and if you're using the word homeboy, you really can't use the word sir. I think that's just – I think that just doesn't work. I'm multifaceted that way. I transition well. Let's put it that way. Right. Uh, We were talking about um, – we've been talking about anarchism, the philosophy of freedom, self-defense, all these great – the questions of the ages that I'm forcing Stefan to uh, condense into 10-minute segments. (laughs) So answer all our questions in 10 minutes, Stefan. Absolutely. Uh, uh, We're going to move a little bit more into into the philosophy. Um, uh, Let me see. is Is this really just a retarded question? Uh, oh, no, here, here's the question that I really wanted to ask here. Um, what do you feel uh, the philosophy of anarchism says about how we should be acting in our own personal experience uh, in, in that kind of a society? And what kind of identity does the average person have in that kind of society? And what I mean by that is that, uh, is that the social identity that Americans have today is very, uh, it's very militaristic. I believe that one of the only cultures that, that America is really based on is a military culture. It's mm-hmm. not like we have, you know, several thousand years of, of, of art and history behind us. You know, we really, all we really have is war. And, um, 
I, I think that has really shaped the identity of the average American a, a great deal. And those are the kinds of things that I'm talking about. So what kind of identity does the average person have in, uh, in, in a stateless society? That's a, that's a great, great question. Um, I'm just going to stall for a few minutes and uh, talk about my pets. <laughs> Uh, no, no, that's a, that's a great question because, of course, a Cats lot of... Cats and the porks again, we're right. full circle. Uh, lots of people, uh, of course, found their identity, and, and I'm not saying this is a choice. This is something that would just inherit through, through circumstances and culture. But a lot of people, of course, base their identity on things which are not rational, right? I mean, so uh, patriotism, which is basically a love of proximity. You know, the dirt that is closer to me is better than the dirt that's further away from me. That is kind of an irrational fetish, really, when you think about it. I mean, it makes a foot fetish look, look wow. sensible. Wow. Now, I've never uh, – this is new to me. This is absolutely new to me. This is a brand new perspective. I've never looked at patriotism in context with fetishism. So well, this is no, territory. but it is. It is right because it is. It is an I irrational. I see your point. Yeah, that makes sense. I got. I bet Glenn Beck gets his jollies off the <laughs> American flag. Oh, I'm just waiting for him to do that topless, right? You know it's coming, right? There's going to be some clamps. And anyway, we'll get back to that later. But, but uh, sorry for that image to everyone who's still eating breakfast. But um, but no, I mean, so so there's that that there's that aspect, and whatever your views on religion, and you know, we don't have to get into mine in particular unless the listeners are interested. Religion is certainly not something that people choose, right? But rather something that kind of falls on them uh, as children, right? So if you grow up in a Muslim country, you end up shockingly mostly Muslim, right? If you grow up in a Christian country, you're mostly Christian, right? So it's just something that is sort of accidental circumstance, and it's not the same as a reason philosophy from first principles. So if you put those things together and you throw in, you know, really dumb stuff like the guys who wear sweaters that I like are the te- it's the team that I will support, which is all kinds of nutty, right? Because you throw in sports, you throw in uh, local rivalries uh, around neighborhoods and so on. And people have founded a whole lot of their personality and identity on these artificial distinctions that have no basis in reality whatsoever. Uh, you know, everybody's thought of it, I'm sure. You watch some sports movie where the this team, you just be happy if they win. But if you film it from the other side, it's a tragedy, right? And so it's it's completely arbitrary. You take those things away, then what's going to have to happen is people are going to have to actually start to build their identity on something that is rational and virtuous and moral and kind and generous. And they're going to have to win the allegiance of those around them through being good, kind, strong, moral, decent people rather than you know, cheering for the same idiot arbitrary team, whether it's government or sports or gods, uh, I think that re- people are going to have to really uh, work to earn their identity and there will be far fewer interferences in that identity because you won't be taught all these irrational things. And so I think it's going to be a greater challenge for people, but the rewards of what psychologists call authenticity, which is a healthy, rational relationship to reality rather than to s- this various superstitions that are inflicted upon us, will make people a lot happier. Uh, there'll be a lot more self-respect. People will be kinder to children, to animals, to each other, because these arbitrary distinctions won't be infecting their souls and turning them away from each other, which I think is just tragic. I see. I see. And, and uh, for, the, for, for uh, what is – how could – I'm not trying to figure out how to phrase this question. In, in, in the day-to-day activity of, of, of the American anarchist in a state, stateless society, what actions do they participate in themselves that they don't necessarily participate now that support uh, that kind of society? Like, um, could you speak on, you know, how does money work? 
Well, sure. I mean, money is a is a product, right? We, we think of it as, you know, like there's fish and there's water. And we think of money like water and goods and services like fish. Mm. But it's not true. Money is just another good and service. And money has a bunch of things that it needs to, to be in order for it to be uh, valuable to people, right? So it needs to be stable. It needs to be predictable. It needs to be convertible from some fiat thing into something real like gold or diamonds or something. And of course, these are none of the characteristics that any state-run currency has. State-run currency is simply counterfeiting that is called another name, right? right? Which is uh, the you know, control of the money supply or whatever. You know, this is the fundamental anarchist position that if it's wrong for me to do it, why is it right for you to do it, right? If it's wrong for me to go to Iraq and shoot people, why is it right for a guy in costume to do it? If it's wrong for me to print money and type whatever I want into my own bank account, why is it moral for the government to do it? This is sort of the basic question that anarchists ask. It's a universalization of principles, because if it's not principles, then it's just a free-for-all, and let's, not, let's, pretend, let's stop pretending that anything virtuous is going on. But if we are going to say that a virtue is going on, then uh, let's make these principles universal. And so money is just a service that is provided to allow people to have a medium of exchange, right? So if I want an apple and you want an orange... Uh, we don't have to find people in the middle who are going to trade enough, right? So to, to, it's going to be a big waste of time. So it's just a service, and it would be provided by companies that would all compete to have the most stable and predictable and valuable and useful currency. Uh, so it's just another good and service uh, that is uh, um, is going to be provided in a free society. And what you won't have are these ridiculous business cycle booms and busts and inflations and bailouts and foreign, ex- uh, you know, this foreign aid that just. It takes money from poor people in rich countries and gives it to rich people in poor countries. So it will just be another good and service that is provided with all of the value uh, and uh, and worthwhile uh, behavior that voluntarism uh, provides. So I think that would be something. People will negotiate a lot more because they won't be able to run to the government to force Absolutely. people to do what they want. So there'll be much more negotiation and there'll be much more leisure because you won't be spending 40 to 50 to 60% of your money well, having it taken from you at the point of a gun. So if you want to work part-time and be home to raise your kids, you can do that and have exactly the same, if not greater, a standard of living. We won't have this dread of the future because we all know that the existing system is a bridge to a cliff, right, to a chasm. So we won't have this dread of the future and this feeling that we're kind of trembling on the brink of the end days because we know that the existing system cannot conceivably sustain itself because something which mathematically cannot continue will not continue. So there will be a stability and a security about the future and a way to build things without feeling like you're building everything you've got on this kind of shifting sand of statism where anything and everything could be taken away at a moment's notice. So security, comfort, happiness, virtue, uh, productivity, voluntarism, and negotiation, I think, will be the order of the day. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Corey, do you have anything to add? No, I totally agree. And would you not agree that every state in the past has fallen because a lot of them have fallen because either they were taken over by a forceful monopoly of another state or because the state became an empire and ran out of money. I mean, there really isn't much, uh, many other reasons the state has really fallen. And I believe, you know, I would say, I would believe that all states will fall because of this. What would you think about that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, States fall because violence doesn't work in the long run. I mean, we all understand that in our personal life. And every single movie has, you know, most of the movies at least that have criminals have the criminals ending up very badly, though it may take entirely too many seasons, a la Sopranos, but the criminals always do end up badly because violence, while it will get you what you want in the short run, 
some sort of good and service that you couldn't negotiate for otherwise or wouldn't be willing to, it fails in the long run in the same way that you can take heroin to make yourself happy this afternoon, but it is going to make you very unhappy in the long run. These artificial stimulants don't work for people in the long run. Uh, drugs or violence are two sides of the same coin. So states fall and the same reason that uh, heroin addicts tend to die young because uh, there's artificial stimulants of violence and so on don't don't work. And we have this continual fantasy that mm-hmm. somehow we can get violence to do what we want, that we can create this raging beast and have it obey us, but it never works. And the anarchists understand that. And we're trying to get others to. All right. All it. right. Well, we're coming up on a break. Uh, after the break, we'll continue our interview with Stephen Molyneux. Uh, you listen to Atlas Radio right here on Oracle Broadcasting. Check it. We're back on the Atlas Radio program here on oraclebroadcasting.com with our uh, well-noted guest, Stefan Molyneux of freedomainradio.com. 1,500 podcasts. He is he was the keynote speaker at the Liberty Forum 09 in Nashua, New Hampshire. He is going to be debating uh, Michael Badnerick uh, coming up in Philadelphia uh, very soon. So please check his website and stay updated on everything that's going on there. Consume some of that media. Uh, these are messages that need to get out there, need to be heard. Uh, we are in the last segment of the second hour talking to Stefan, and we're going to continue here in just a moment. If you would like to uh, participate in this conversation, uh, you can find us at www.atlasmediaonline.com, and you can simply t- click the uh, chat tab, and uh, we will be in there. Stefan has also been gracious enough to uh, uh, put himself into the <laughs> free market chat environment of the Atlas Media Online chat room. And, and uh, uh, so if you've got questions, uh, we're going to be opening up the uh, uh, phone lines in the second hour. And you can also Twitter us, right, Cor? Yeah, um, on Twitter, at Atlas Media, at sign Atlas Media. Go ahead, put that in on your Twitter, and it'll show up on my little client I've got right here. We'll do a little shout-out, and um, that's about it, all I can say. You know, just check it out right now. Right on. So in the last hour, we uh, or I'm sorry, in the last segment, uh, I think Steph made uh, one of the – he made a really stunning point that I would like to just uh, emphasize a little bit of the idea of tyranny as addiction. That's heavy, heavy stuff, Stefan Molino. You know, I do bring the heavy from time to time. There's no question. Yeah, I mean, uh, it certainly – it certainly speaks to the idea of, uh, of how tyranny tends to perpetuate itself, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, if you look at any addiction, addiction is the, is the idea that that which makes things worse will make things better, right? Mm-hmm. And so because it continually makes things worse, you continue to apply the same principle in the hopes of making it better, right? So think of the gambler who's at a table and he's playing 21 and he keeps losing money, but he has this fantasy that it's about to turn around, right? But of course the house always wins. And so it doesn't turn around, at least not in the long run, though he may have particular turns of fate that improve his circumstances. Uh, Anything which, which the solution, we're putting out fire with gasoline, we're desperate to put out the fire, but everything we do makes it worse and we get stuck in that cycle of continuing to apply the same principles that brought disaster to attempt to create a solution, right? So uh, state power, uh, you know, messes up the economy, uh, messes up uh, the housing market, messes up banking. And uh, so what is the solution uh, to the initiation of the use of force in the financial and economic and housing sectors? Well, we are going to apply even more force to the problem through nationalization, through outright bribery, through subsidization, through additional violent controls. And so there's this idea that, you know, my, my, my chickens are dying because their coop is too small. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to make it even smaller 
and see how they do. Oh, dear, they're doing even worse. Let me make it smaller. And, of course, we all know where that ends. But it is an addiction, fundamentally, because it is the attempt to use that which created the disaster to ameliorate the disaster, which makes it worse, which makes it even more desirable for the crazy people, right, <laughs> to continue that, that process. Now, what we see, uh, I, 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 what we see, and this kind of speaks to uh, something that uh, Corey and I were discussing in the first hour in terms of participation in the state in order to reduce the power of the state. And uh, I advocate that um, that anarchistic ideas, anarchistic principles that are being um, that are being expanded within the state serve to disempower the state and thus uh, further the agenda or, or further the cause of freedom. Um, uh, let's see, where 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 was that question? Uh, but but for example, <laughs> for example, things like uh, H.R. 1207, which is the audit, the Fed bill introduced by Ron Paul has over 220 co-sponsors now. And it's got some traction and people want to know these the answer to these questions. They need the transparency. I believe that, uh, you know, that this is legislation that advances our ideas, that advances the cause of liberty. W uh, could you speak on that? Does that make me a hypocrite as an anti-statist? Well, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't use that label at all because, you know, you haven't heard maybe as many counter arguments. So you're in a state of knowledge, which is perfectly appropriate to what it is you're trying to do. I mean, mm -hmm. I'll throw a few counter arguments out and then, you know, you can let me know what you think of them over time. But uh, I try not to, you know, hurl the cannons of, of negative labels around, <laughs> you know, prior to real confirmation, which is not going to come very quickly, certainly not in this conversation. So. I mean, it, the idea basically is that um, according to any kind of universal ethical theory, the government is the most monstrous and evil entity that exists in the world, right? Because uh, it, is, uh, it has the power of unlimited violence and incarceration and torture and, of course, in, in rape through these uh, uh, prisons, which are basically torture chambers. Uh, it uh, preys upon the minds of the young by teaching them full, uh, stuffing their heads full of irrational boredom and turning them away from knowledge and virtue. Unfortunately, most of them when they're very young. So it is the greatest evil in the world. Anything. Hey, Steph, let's uh, let's let's take a quick break, real quick, and oh, uh, sure. try to re try to reconnect your uh, connection here. Just yeah, making a note here. Great evil. Continue soon. <laughs> the evil side. The evil Skype. So uh, go ahead and hang up, and uh, uh, we'll give you a call back here in just a second. Uh, we are speaking with Stefan Molyneux, and uh, we're going to try to get back? him. Uh, are we back? Uh, I believe, are we back? Are we back? Yes, I believe we are. All right. Sorry about yes. that. Uh, yeah, so the state is the greatest evil in, in the world, uh, the greatest institutionalized evil. Now, if the theory is that we can infiltrate this evil organization and use its power to turn it towards some kind of virtue – then I think we can much more easily test that theory without having to worry about the federal government. So, for instance, you can uh, uh, look at your local criminal gang. Let's just call them the mafia for the sake of, of shorthand. So there's a local criminal well, we, gang. We, 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 could, we could speak on, 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 in literal terms in, uh, uh, in this context with uh, people like Giuliani. So, you know, please continue. <laughs> right. So, so, uh, so you have a local uh, mobster gang, right, local criminal gang. So I think the thing to do is to forget about the federal government. If you want to test the theory that you can infiltrate an evil organization and turn it towards virtue, then what you need to do is infiltrate your local mafia and attempt to turn it into the United Way. Right? That, to me, would be a really good test. Now, you laugh, right? But, but, but it, you, why do, you laugh because it's a funny and ridiculous idea, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right? So exactly. to, but this is exactly how I look at political action. Because the, the, the government is much more uh, uh, immoral and evil than... Um, than the mafia. At least the mafia doesn't claim anything other than tribal loyalties. It doesn't claim universal <laughs> sure. virtue, right? And the mafia doesn't educate your children, and the mafia can't take 50% of your money and doesn't have nukes, right? So mafia can't declare war in other countries. So 
the government is much more evil. And if we say, well, I have much more control and possibility to infiltrate the local mafia because at least I don't have to get elected. I just have to, I don't know, do some horrible blood right or something. So I can, if we think it's ridiculous to infiltrate the local mafia and turn them into a charity uh, or at least get them to stop killing so many people and become nicer – then uh, it, it's got to be that much more ridiculous to think that we can infiltrate the state and turn it towards virtue. Well, I, I guess my point is, 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 is continuing with the analogy of the mafia. Uh, if we were to infiltrate the mafia with the intention of taking of, – of, of, uh, and let's add the caveat of, of potentially successfully – uh, removing all the weapons uh, out of the mafia's hands. Would this not be advantageous toward disempowering the, 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 the mafia that we're trying to uh, well, but, disempower? But why wouldn't, I mean, so why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you have that as a plan, right? Because if you want to convince people that you can infiltrate... Well, I would say that kind, of, sorry, that kind of is the plan. No, no, I no, but I, what I, I mean I, is I, why I, don't I, you I, have I, that plan with the mafia that you're going to infiltrate them instead of wasting your time on political... You can't get a lot... Right, infiltrate the mafia well, and get exactly. to give up all their weapons. You can't well, exactly I, get elected into the mafia, though, and oh, you, you can of... probably get in some, right? <laughs> There's going to be some some group that you can, some criminal gang that you can join for sure. Maybe a bunch of why don't you infiltrate a bunch of drug dealers and get them to stop dealing drugs, right? I mean, because if you can join immoral groups or institutions and turn them towards virtue, why waste your time with something as abstract and impossible to to win uh, as the as the federal government, say, or even your local government? And just go to some local crime gang and get them to stop being criminals and do good stuff, right? Because then you would also prove the theory, right? Yeah, is it is it necessarily impossible to win that way though? Because what we're talking about here is we're talking about uh, we're talking about institutions that have a toolbox of particular weapons that are used uh, that are used in the way that they are used. And in terms of of the Fed, we're talking about uh, fiat monetary uh, systems, and we're talking about fractional reserve banking and all the things that go along with the Federal Reserve that that make the Federal Reserve a uh, a, a weapon of uh, mass economic destruction. So, in in my opinion, like what, uh, for example, HR twelve oh seven, which has the traction and has the support, um, and it has the potential to successfully, speaking to the 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 mafia analogy of of taking one of the big guns away from the mafia. No, no, no. Look, come on. Ma- it has no capacity. To, I hate to say this, right? And I, I don't mean to be Mr. Wet Blanket Guy, and this is, of course, just my opinion. But, no, okay. but look, I mean, if, 20, if, you feel that, if you feel that counterfeiting is a problem, then why don't you join the local counterfeiting ring and get them to stop counterfeiting, right? Because if you can do that, then you obviously have the power to stop people who profit from counterfeiting. There's just no possibility. This, this law, even if it gets passed, it's never going to be enforced because the government gets all its money from this counterfeiting, right? Otherwise, it will have to raise taxes. Well, we'll be right back right after the break. Okay, let's keep going after. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to Atlas Radio right here on Oracle Broadcasting. Uh, this is third and final hour. Um, we've got get special guest uh, Stefan Molino with us. Um, it's been a great interview so far. Um, at the end of the show, about half hour after the show, you can check that out, the archive at oraclebroadcasting.com. You can also check out the 128K premium archive. If you are a member of Oracle Broadcasting, I believe it's like $5 a month. It is totally worth it. Go ahead and check that out um, at our uh, network, oraclebroadcasting.com. All right, before the break, before the end of the hour, we were discussing a little bit about um, – actually, I forget what we were discussing. but Oh, it was, uh, it was little, the, the bill to, uh, to <laughs> audit stuff, the Fed, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, continue on with that theme a little bit. Um what do you think as far as um, 
uh, like supporting actual candidates. I mean, you said that you believe that it's futile to continue in the system, but um, Adam Kokesh is, is running for state representative in uh, Mexico's third district. If you were a constituent, would you uh, would you donate money or vote for him? Um, if not, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, I kind of think I already know the answer, but I just want to continue on with this theme a little bit before the break. Sure, and it's, it's nothing against Adam Kokesh as an individual, obviously, right? But uh, no, no, I wouldn't. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't believe that you can infiltrate an evil organization that is specifically dedicated to um, preying on mostly disarmed citizens for the sake of nasty profits. I just don't think that you can infiltrate the mafia and make it a good place. I think that you have to find another way. But I think I think it, I think the illusion that we can do so is is not good for the movement as a whole. I think because if it if it works, then obviously I'm completely wrong and, and I'll I'll eat all my words with uh, with Hollandaise sauce. But uh, I think that if we look at the last 40 years of libertarianism uh, as a party, or we look at the last 150 years of trying to control the state through classical liberalism, uh, it hasn't worked. The state has grown and grown and grown and grown and grown and grown and grown almost asymptotically. So, uh, so clearly, uh, it, 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 despite the massive efforts of some truly stupendously brilliant thinkers, right, uh, Mises and Rothbard and Rand and all of these, you know, just stone geniuses. Uh, and and despite the efforts of, you know, very charismatic and gifted people like uh, you know, Harry Brown and Michael Batnarik and other people who have really worked, uh, and Ron Paul, of course, is a very, very brilliant mm-hmm. fellow, they they have really worked and we poured, you know, tens and tens of millions of dollars and, I don't know, you couldn't even calculate the amount of hours that have been poured into trying to uh, reduce the size and power of the state, even over the past 40 years, and the result has been that the state, I'm not saying it's causal, but it, the result has been that the state is now many, many times larger than when it started, right? So if you have a cancer treatment designed to shrink a cancer and you take this really painful and difficult cancer treatment for five years and at the end of five years your cancer is 10 or 20 times the size it was when you started, I think it's okay to say, I don't think it's working, right? I think, I think it's okay to say we need to find another treatment. So I think the but, – but, so you go ahead. Do you think the actual campaigning though is counterproductive? I mean, that we have a is I'm not I don't I used to consider myself a minarchist of sorts, but I really don't anymore. But when I was doing this, when I was really campaigning hard for people and doing this kind of stuff, I felt that the actual campaigning may be spreading the ideas of liberty, nonetheless, whether or not the candidate is actually winning. Is that do you think that's counterproductive? And maybe we should focus more on, um, like. No, civil disobedience and stuff. Oh, just and actually, you just I the word ask... moron in there. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I actually want to um, ask you that, but we're about to come up on a break, um, so we'll get a little bit into that when we come back. Um, we've got about 40 seconds before the break. I want to also point out that the phone lines are open this hour. If you want to ask Stefan a question, the number uh, toll free international is 866-841-1065. That's 866-841-1065. Or if you have unlimited long distance or are in the Austin area, it's 512-904-8014. You are listening to Atlas Radio right here on Oracle Broadcasting. Check it. Welcome back to the program. You are live on Atlas Radio on the one and only oraclebroadcasting.net. I am HX, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Corey. And with us today is, uh, in this third and final hour, phone lines are open, is Stefan Molyneux of freedomainradio.com. That's freedomainradio.com. Uh, Stefan will be speaking at the uh, uh, in Philadelphia 
very soon. He'll be debating uh, the iconoclastic Michael Biden, Eric. Uh, and it's been described as a clash of the libertarian titans. <laughs> Absolutely. You know we're going to be in those little Borax spandex bathing suits in a mud pit by the end of it. There's no question. American Gladiators 20, 2009. Yeah, only, only slightly less ripped, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny stuff right there. All right. Uh, we actually already have a phone call right here. Um, it's uh, from my area, so we'll go ahead and go live. Um, uh, Atlas Radio, you're live on the air. How are you doing today? It's actually Ashley. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Hi, uh, Ashley. Do you have a question or a comment? Well, uh, yeah, actually, um First, I, I wanted to say, um, uh, Stefan, I really um, respect your work, and I've listened to a lot of your YouTube shows, and I think they're awesome. But I had a question for you. Sure, I'd be happy, and thank you for your kind words. Awesome. <laughs> um, and it, it goes kind of back, way back to, to the beginning kind of of the show, um, and that is... Um, you um, started uh, taking donations and um, and and have have uh, done your your show full time, and I wondered. Um, I understand you have a beautiful baby girl, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> and I was wondering um, if um, choosing to um, to. Um, do this full time was a hard decision for you. Oh, it was horrible. Oh my God. It was just horrible. You know, <laughs> it really, it was, it was, it was horrible. And of course I made the decision prior to my wife getting pregnant and so on. Not to say that's causal. Um, <laughs> 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 honey, I need to go on the show full time. So I'm awake for anyway. Um, but no, it, it really was a tough decision. Um, my wife, uh, uh is, is, uh, practices psychology and she had just, uh, quit her steady pay job to start up her own clinic, uh, and uh, I'd helped her for the first year on that, and uh, so it was really tough. I mean, to to both be entrepreneurs is uh, like having two wobbly wheels on a very fast car, so it definitely was, uh, it was tough, and I knew that it was a one-way street, right, that it was not going to be, so I wasn't going to say, hey, I'll do this for a year or two, and then I'll jump right back into managing software stuff, so... Uh, it really was tough. Uh, it, it was a you know seventy five percent pay cut, a really uncertain growth potential. Uh, so it was a uh, a very very difficult decision. But like all the best decisions, you know, I mean the the challenge was it was only a tough decision because I wanted it so badly, right? Compared to uh, you know putting out another software product, talking about you know wisdom, virtue, truth, and goodness with the smartest listeners on the planet, perhaps except for the these shows <laughs> listeners. Uh, it is a, a dream come true. So uh, it was only because I wanted it so badly, and yet there was no certainty at all of success. And it, it still is a very up and down venture. But uh, uh, it was a very, very tough decision to make. Um, but uh, I'm certainly, certainly uh, very thrilled that I made it, and uh, I'm thrilled at the way things have have gone. That's great. I mean, yeah. Uh, I think it's great that uh, you decided to become an entrepreneur, which is a really scary uh, situation. I mean, that's that's what I'd like to do. And I also really like that crutch of having a an hourly job or, you know, something that I expect will will uh, will pay off. Well, and, um, th- thank you for the call. Oh. Uh, do you have an? No, I'm not trying to cut you off. I'm just asking if you have any more questions. 
for Stefan or well, for us? What kind of, uh, what kind of um, advice would you give uh, to somebody who's about to take that sort of a plunge? Yeah, no, that's, mm, a, that's a great question. question. I, w- I would say that the important thing, Ashley, is to, is to manage your capacity for risk. We, we all have a certain capacity for risk. And some people, I think, is way too high. You know, like people who go over Niagara Falls in a barrel, I think, might want to scale back their <laughs> capacity for risk a little bit. But, but other people who don't want to quit uh, and do what they want to do because they're just afraid, and I'm not saying that's you, uh, I think that they need to up. So I, I think that you want to manage your capacity for risk and, uh, and so not take on too much, right? So uh, I wouldn't have been responsible if I just said, hey, somebody downloaded my first podcast, I'm going to quit. Right. That would be uh, irresponsible uh, from a sort of family guy standpoint. Uh, So I think that would have been irresponsible. I think if I had kept on, uh, despite the evidence that there was some possibility of making a living at it, uh, I think that would have been too much on the fearful side. So I think you need to find that right tipping point. I think having a safety net is important. But, you know, just like if you're training to be in Cirque du Soleil, at some point you can work without that safety net. And that is a scary moment. But I think it's really important to be aware of when that can happen and then just go for it. But I think having the safety net up front is a worthwhile thing. Uh, and I think just knowing, trusting your gut when it's right to let it go and talking about it with people, uh, I think is is really important. And there is no easy way to have that safety net taken away. But I think there is the right time to do it. And I think your instincts will, t- will tell you when that is. Well, Excellent. thank you, caller, for calling in. Um, anyone else wants to call in, the phone number is 866-841-1065. That's toll-free international. Or if you are in the Austin area or have unlimited local long distance or whatever. We're back on the program. You're listening to Atlas Radio. Uh, with me, as always, is my co-host, Sizzle, and I am the one and only HX. With us today at the uh, bottom, uh, well, close to the bottom of the third hour, uh, is Stefan Molino, freedomainradio.com, freedomainradio.com. He's with us today, and uh, we're taking the calls. And at, at the end of the um, at the end of the last segment, we were talking about the new world order, and uh, you said that uh, that you have absolutely no doubt that there is a corruptive conspiracy at at high globalist levels uh, in order to bring about a, a, an agenda which uh, 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 which many people in, in in our sort of genre of of activism and uh, you know re- independent research and so forth, uh, we tend to run across this conspiracy, and there's a lot of there, there's a lot of talk about it. So, uh, it, it, w- would would you like uh, just real quick, you know, maybe a minute and a half? Would you like to uh, to to uh, uh, dispute? some of the common uh, myths that are out there about the New World Order? Yeah, I mean, I hope there's a New World Order. I really do, because I, I hope that there's a smart group of people who are dominating our lives, because if there isn't, it doesn't make any sense. Like, then we're really dumb, right? Like, if there isn't a smart <laughs> bunch of people out there who are running the show for their own benefit at our expense, who have a, a huge amount of power that we can't see, uh, then it would make no sense that we would be in these cages, right? So uh, I'm, I hope there's a zookeeper, because otherwise we're just here sort of on our own, which doesn't make any sense. So, but, but to me, um, it, it, you know, you can hunt for the clues and you can do that sort of, um, uh, you know, that uh, symbology stuff and you can follow the Bilderbergers and the Masons and all that kind of stuff. But to me, that doesn't matter because, I mean, I assume this group exists. Um, if there's a war, I assume there's an army. And if there's a dominance of taxpayer uh, livestock, I assume that there are farmers. Uh, but to me, it doesn't matter because uh, I'm not going to waste my time chasing down these people and trying to figure out what the skull and bones actually, what those rituals are and who's part of it and this and that. Because the whole point is that you get rid of this power and these groups evaporate. And the only way you can get rid of this power, in my opinion, is to have a staunch and firm 
commitment to these ideals in your own life and to be a lighthouse and a beacon for other people uh, to, to become free. Uh, like we were just talking with this woman, right? She wants to pursue her dream and she's scared, right? So uh, we oh, could talk cool. to her about the New World Order and that would waste time because what she really needs to do to become free and an inspiration to other people is to find the courage to pursue her dreams, to live free and beautifully and inspire people to do the same. And that's how we bring down this tyranny. You know, we can't oppose it through force. Uh, violence uh, doesn't work. And so we, we oppose it, uh, as I think the great moral leaders in history have always suggested. We oppose it through living better and more inspiring lives than these weasels who run the show. Absolutely. And we're going to uh, we'll talk a little bit on on what the anarchists can do in their daily in their daily experience to uh, uh, to to advance this the cause of freedom in that way. Uh, we have a caller live on the uh, on the line right now. Uh, Classy, are you with us? Yes, I am. Hello. We're glad to have you. Uh, please go ahead. You're live with Stefan Molino. Well, thank you. I'm really enjoying your show. I want to say that. And uh, what I wanted to comment on was the infiltration aspect. Uh, you say you would, you can't win by infiltrating the mafia or the federal government. I have to disagree with the word because I don't feel candidates like Adam Kokash, Rand Paul, R.J. Harris, they're not trying to infiltrate. It's a frontal attack. They're coming up and saying it's time to get candidates in that will follow the Constitution and bring to the American public's attention that most of our national representatives aren't representing us in the very least. And, you know, in the past couple of years, 1% of the country woke up. If we can get more candidates to wake up another 1%, another 1%, then we can accomplish something, I think. Stephen? Well, and uh, the the goal, if, if I understand it correctly, the goal is to get enough people in to the government that uh, you can go back to the Constitution, which means eliminating, uh, you know, many of the federal functions, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, the post office, um, the welfare state, the military industrial complex, uh, public uh, education, uh, uh, just yes. to name a few, right? That these are, this is this all is, is going to be shut down uh, through through political action. Is that that's the idea? Yes, because so many of those programs are nothing but a total waste. The war on drugs is the biggest joke on the face of the earth, in my opinion. I agree. And the FDA is another huge joke. And what? Uh, and, sorry to interrupt. Uh, what? Uh, what time frame do you would you say if you if you had to? I know it's a tough question, but I might as well ask one rather than me ask one. Um, what, what time frame would you say? Uh, is reasonable, right? So it took about thirty or forty years of the libertarian activism to get to one percent of the population. What time frame do you think would be reasonable to assume that a, rest a restoration to the limits of the Constitution would be feasible? If you had to put put, I know it's a tough question, but if you had to put a number out there, because if you have a plan, this is from my business well, training, you need to have a time frame, right? Well, before I address that, I have to disagree. It, it hasn't been thirty years to wake people up. I feel that more people have been have had the attention grabber in the last two years, and now the war has been the so-called war. The illegal occupations are totally, there's no end in sight. But it, a realistic time frame, if we have the time, I would say 20 years. So you think in 20 years you can get a majority of people uh, who are going to support this limitation of state power uh, to the point where you could achieve some significant gains that way? 
absolutely. Now, uh, you do realize, of course, well, that if the- I could just raise the point real quick, I think she makes I think she makes a good point in that she's uh, what 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 Cassie is referring to is there's been a radical advancement of people uh, who who are who have decided to subscribe to these ideas in the past two years, and I think that Classy is saying that this comes as a result of 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 uh, a very vi- uh, very visible and very active and organized uh, campaign efforts that that happen to be uh, sourced in you know the election process and campaigning sure. and things like that. Sure, but, so no, but let, is, me, let me point so, this so out. Though. Let, me, let me just point this out though that you actually need more than fifty percent because. Uh, I think it's between 30 and 40 percent of people either work directly for or indirectly for or are responsible to the government for their income, right? So yeah. so those people are almost like you're not going to get the people in the post – the people who run the post office union are not going to vote for the privatization of the post office. The people who are in the unions, the, the, the teachers and the people who are in the private sector unions are not going to vote Absolutely. to give up their money and, and power, right? I mean that would be my – My mother-in-law, my, literally, this, this is a conversation I just had not a week ago. My mother-in-law refuses to support any idea that eliminates uh, income tax in the Federal Reserve because she is an accountant, and that's what she does for a living. Yeah, you've got tax lawyers, you've got people on Social Security, people on welfare, you've got public school teachers, you've got postal workers, you've got soldiers, you've got all the people who work for the military-industrial complex, you've got all the people who work as banking experts and regulators, you've got people who work in universities who, who get tenure and subsidies through state power. So you have a lot of people who are hugely benefiting from the existing order of things. I would say that that would be almost impossible, right? That's like going to the Bush twins and saying, will you vote Democrat? I mean, you just no point wasting your time on those people. Uh, so you would have to get, of the you know, 50 or 60% of people that you would have a shot with, you'd have to get almost everyone. Now, the problem is that everyone who is uh, interested in freedom has a mother or a brother or a sister or a cousin or someone, <laughs> a wife, a child, who works for the state, right? So this is going to be a lot of conflict within this because we're not all isolated. We're all part of these communities, part of these families. It's going to make for some pretty uncomfortable barbecues. And I'm not saying what you say is impossible. I just think Mm -hmm. that 20 years to get to uh, virtually 100% of all of the possible people to get them to go against their own families, to get, you know, if there's a a woman who is, is getting some benefit from the state, and her husband says, I want to get rid of that benefit, then he's lowering his family income precipitously and causing a lot of conflict, right? So I'm just saying that the, the obstacles to me seem absolutely, you know, to use a technical term, ginormous. And I think that 20 years might be a tad optimistic. Excellent points. We are at the bottom of the third hour. Stefan Molinos, stick around. Atlas Radio, Oracle Broadcasting. We're back on the Atlas Radio program, bottom of the third and final hour. Phone lines are open at uh, locally. You can call 512-904-8014. That's 512-904-8014. Or you can call the toll-free number at 1-866-841-1065. That's 866-841-1065. We're with Stephen Stephen Molyneux. This is the uh, uh, third and final hour. And uh, uh, we were discussing a little bit uh, during the break about um, about our last caller. Uh, Classy, thanks so much for the call. Uh, you're free to call back if you'd like. She said she had a few more points to make, but I don't know if she wants to call back. But that's up to her. Um, let me see if I can um, – Steph, you're welcome to uh, – if you uh, we don't have any more callers on the line, so you're welcome to take off uh, at any point uh, you know, at, at your leisure. Um, but let me just uh, ask you a few uh, quest- a few wrap-up questions if, if I can. Please, yeah, happy to. Uh, yeah. Um, 
Uh, it's really hard to ask these questions to go real quick. What do you think about? One of the <laughs> no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll be compressed. No problem. <laughs> uh, let me ask you, what do you feel is the greatest threat of corruption today? Uh, what or the, or what I'm saying is the um, the most egregious offense against freedom today. And what should we do, be doing as freedom activists to change that? Well, uh, bad parenting. Uh, I think is uh, is the most egregious uh, attack upon the freedom of the future. Uh, bad parenting, uh, and by that I'm, I don't mean you know parents who lose their temper on occasion, right? I mean that happens to everyone. But I mean sort of abusive parenting. Uh, that is my particular stance about what we need to change the most, and that which we have the most control over. Whether we are going to help confront and educate bad parents that we know in our family or in a social circle or whatever. But of course, bad parents raise children who are fearful, who are aggressive. Uh, sometimes, if too much bad parenting goes on, these these people end up violent. Uh, and so that is something that we can really do to improve the quality of how it is that we treat our own children and how it is that we encourage the promotion of virtuous and peaceful parenting. The non-aggression principle surely applies to children more than anyone else in society because they are the most helpless and dependent and wonderful creatures around. So I think that first and foremost, this is why I'm not particularly interested in the Bohemian Grove stuff. I can't do anything about that stuff, even if I had some inside knowledge. What I can do is I can encourage um, a happy, virtuous, peaceful, benevolent, gentle, kind, and loving parenting practices, and that is going to raise a generation of people who are going to look at irrational and brutal authority with scorn rather than with fear or rebellion. And I think that is where we need to get. The government is going to dissolve when we no longer believe that it's virtuous, and so we need to build, uh, to, build a, to, to create a parenting paradigms that raise children to be free, happy, rational, able to negotiate, secure in their own confidence, happy with their own righteous anger, and that is going to be impossible to rule. Those people are impossible to rule. And so that would be the first thing that, that I would uh, suggest and the thing that I think is going to have the most value. Living with integrity in your own lives, it is really tough. You know, if, if, if the basic equation goes like this. We say the government exists because people support it morally. People who support the government morally are supporting the use of force against us. How many people are you willing to have in your life who are advocating the use of violence against you? For me, that number is pretty close to zero. For other people, it's a tougher uh, equation, but I think that is... Uh, that is a, another thing that we can do to really live our principles in that area. Uh, so um, for me, it's all about freedom in your own life, your own personal relationships, not relying on a political victory to grant you freedom, not relying on Ron Paul to grant you freedom, however well-intentioned uh, he may be, uh, not relying on uh, uh, some politician's whim to follow the Constitution to bring you freedom, but to build the freedom you can in your own life, and your personal relations, that is how we're going to inspire other people to simply stop believing in the virtue of the state. And those kinds of examples are going to be far more powerful. The example of who you are and how you live is going to be far more powerful than any argument you can bring to bear intellectually or any vote you can cast or any money you can donate to a political candidate. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is the, is the approach. Absolutely. Uh I, I couldn't agree more. We have a question from the chat room here from one of our uh, from a longtime listener. If three weeks can be considered a long time, she's you know she's <laughs> she's around. Uh, she's one of us. It's it's Miss Donna Van Meter, and um, she is uh, uh, she is connected to uh, someone close to her is is a, is currently a political prisoner um, oh. uh, that is uh, connected to the Ed and Elaine Brown situation. I don't know if you're familiar. This is a tax with, resistor. Uh, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And and her her question here is, what's your opinion on those people that refuse to pay federal income taxes and then they be, they get attacked uh, by the federal government with guns and uh, so forth? And, uh, uh, you know, um, 
Yeah. I guess the question is, I guess the question here is, is what is our response to the violence that is merited against us uh, from our resistance? I, I don't think that there's any dishonor in complying with with violence. Right. Uh, I don't. I, I don't. I just don't. I don't think there's any dishonor in choosing to comply with overwhelming force. Uh, I, I don't I mean, it's not the system we designed. It's not what we wanted. But this is a situation that we're born into. I do not fault anybody for having the moral courage to avoid paying taxes. I think that it is their moral right to, to, to do so if they so choose. It's not my choice because uh, I don't think that uh, I'm going to add to the world's freedom by sitting in prison. Uh, so, uh, so it's not my choice. I don't fault their moral courage, but this is the paradox. This is, I think, the problem that occurs with this kind of stuff just from a pragmatic standpoint. There are two groups in society, those who already understand that statism is violence and those who don't. Now, if you resist paying your taxes, you will absolutely confirm for those who already know that the government will use force to extract money from you. So in a sense, you're preaching to the choir. Those who don't mm. understand that will not be convinced by somebody holed up in his house uh, because they'll just look at that as extremist and loony. And it's not an argument that is going to really do anything other than resonate with people who already know the truth. So I think that's not very practical uh, as a solution. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in terms of practicality, a lot can be said. Um, I think in terms of nobility and, 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 and motive and indeed, uh, you know, uh, the right. It's hugely brave. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. It took a it, it takes tremendous courage, tremendous courage. And I think, you know, these these kind of things always happen this way. It starts with a few. And uh, I, I'm a big advocate of, of change starts with me. It can't really start anywhere else. It's, it's got to start with me. I don't have any influence over anybody else anyway. So I can only control myself. And I think that, uh, you know, these kind of situations, um, while I can see, I can definitely see the merit of your point uh, from a rational perspective. Um, I think there's also something to be said for, um, for respecting and, um, uh, elevating the idea and the nobility of that resistance, regardless regardless of its effectiveness. Uh, of its effectiveness. Yeah, but I sorry, because I want to, we I have want to really to... encourage people to live with integrity. And if I can show them that living with integrity, you know, gives me a beautiful life, a beautiful marriage, a, a wonderful existence, that is going to encourage them to live with integrity. If I focus on a pointless resistance against state violence, then people are going to say, "Well, living with integrity gets you holed up in your house, starved out, and thrown in jail." It's not going to be a very strong incentive. Uh, for people to live with integrity as opposed to the joys that they can have from living with voluntarism in other areas. And again, that's the, I'm not going to fault people who do that. That's just my particular perspective because obviously they have a kind of courage that I may be lacking. I just wanted to sort of point that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think I, I think regardless of one's position on, on on the effectiveness or the rationality, I think it's important to uh, to try and work to help those people. Regardless, uh, these you know uh, the the Ed and Lane Brown situation, uh, Danny Riley, Jason Gerhardt, uh, uh, Reno. Um, probably I'm forgetting somebody. I know I am. Um, but these guys, in in terms of Danny Riley specifically, the state is is, is brutalizing this guy, oh, yeah. and they're brutalizing these people. And um, I don't think that we can be uh, freedom loving people without mentioning uh, those who are being so brutally oppressed. You know, so I think it's important to, regardless of of rationality or or, or what you think is effective, it's important to advocate for these people's freedom as much as possible. They deserve it. It's really they broke a non. They broke a non, uh, they, you know, they participated in a non-crime, you know, and, and are being uh, brutalized and held 
for basically the rest of their lives because of it. So absolutely, and the same would be about. true of everybody thrown in jail for uh, drug use and so on. So absolutely, no, I, absolutely. it is an absolute tragedy, the people who get munched underneath this brutal steamroller of statism. And you're right, anything we can do to bring uh, publicity to, to the crimes being committed against them is, is, is time well served. Absolutely, Stefan. This has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Uh, we're coming up on the uh, on the final break of this uh, of, of this show. Uh, you can stick around for the next one. Um, I do have one more question that I'd like you to go into. I'll after stick the through break. till one. Uh, uh, it's one my time. I certainly would be happy to. So I'll I'll be happy to stay for the next segment. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to talk about what's coming down the road for you. We're going to talk about um, what projects you have in mind. Maybe uh, we'll talk about some of your, uh, you know, some of your, some of your dreams and wish, you know, the wish list of Stefan Molyneux for Stefan Molyneux's next, right. you know, however long you want to talk about. Sure. Um, and uh, we're going to get into that after the break. We've got about 30 more seconds here. Uh, I wanted to, uh, uh, you guys can give us a call if you'd like. Uh, we'll try to fit one more call in. Uh, 1-866-841-1065. And we're hitting the break, Core. Yep, yep, yep. You listen to Atlas Radio right here on Oracle Broadcasting. Welcome back to the broadcast. This is Atlas Radio live on the Oracle Broadcasting Network. And that bumper music goes out to uh, the Dubai neocons and their ilk. <laughs> That's getting Arab money up in this piece. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're in the final segment of, of the show, and we've had Stefan Molyneux on with us. It's been a fascinating conversation. Stefan Molyneux always has interesting and and and, and uh, rational and innovative ideas and perspectives and uh, uh step and i really really appreciate you coming on the show i appreciate that uh, I so, to- so since you guys obviously are using your rap names i just wanted to mention that my official rap name is big chatty forehead uh just uh, <laughs> just so that i mean if you've seen a picture you'll understand that i do have the forehead that uh, spans the globe but uh <laughs> well i you know uh, uh humorously enough that brings us into our last question and i'm just going to read it as i wrote it here steph so i hope that's okay sure. uh what is next for stefan molyneux uh what projects are coming down the road uh, and do you have any new and brainy ideas floating around in that magnificent <laughs> magnificently gleaming brain box of yours and how can people support your efforts sir <laughs> well i mean i am uh, listener supported right so if, if uh, people want to uh, donate money uh, to to help spread philosophy uh you know i get in four to five million podcast downloads and video views a year um tens and tens of thousands 60 70 80 thousand listeners in the last count so if you want to really uh, help spread philosophy um this i think is the place to come it's the largest most popular philosophy show on the web freedomainradio.com forward slash donate dot html uh, I am very happy there's little subscriptions or you can throw me some cash, which I use to feed this brain box, as you call it. So uh, I hope to feed the world through you feeding me. So uh, thank you uh, to those who support and who are considering it. Um, I have uh, seven free books available uh, on the website, uh, economics, uh, anarchy, philosophy, ethics, relationships, and so on. Uh, audiobooks, PDFs. Uh, the, there's also a, you can order the print books if you want. They're pretty cheap. Um, the podcasts, of course, are all free. The videos are all free. There's a true news series that I do, which is an analysis of current events through philosophical, uh, with philosophical clarity, so people can check that out. I'm working on a new book, which is grindingly slow, but I think is coming along very well, called How to Achieve Freedom, which is, of course, uh, my uh, roadmap. Because I, I sound like such a naysayer, you know. I, I just sound like uh, one of those guys uh, up in the balcony on the Muppets, you know. Ah, that approach, that approach ah, sucks. I love ah, those that guys. approach sucks. That's terrible. That's not going to work, right? So. 
I think people have had it with that and, and have reasonably said, oh, yeah, punk, what's your solution, right? And, and so uh, I'm working on that book, uh, making the case uh, for the things that we can do that I believe will achieve uh, uh, not only personal but uh, political and economic liberty. Uh, so uh, that's uh, in the hopper. When that comes out, it should be no more than another month or so before that comes out. Uh, of course, I'll make that really? in my newsletter. So that's going on. I'm considering doing uh, a philosophical show for the kids, uh, which I think would be uh, a lot of fun and very interesting. Uh, of course, as I'm going to teach my own daughter philosophy, uh, or rather how mm -hmm. to think, I think it could be a lot of fun to put together. That's uh, interesting that you say that. Uh, uh, I, <laughs> I have also recently had uh, the idea of, 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 of putting together some sort of homeschooling resource media center type thing uh, uh, for homeschooling parents that would like to teach their you know kids some things that have actual value right um, so uh, maybe that would be something that we can uh, that we can talk about you know another time yeah I mean uh, we have SpongeBob SquarePants why not status SquarePants you know just teach the yeah. kids that way uh, so that's <laughs> absolutely uh, I mean you know the internet the, we can do live video now and, and interactive interact in ways that uh, were just impossible before so uh, I, I believe that we could probably you know with a little hard work and innovation and some and some volunteers we could probably uh, develop a really really nice uh, resource for homeschooling parents to to utilize in terms of video and uh and interaction and all that stuff, man. I, I, I think it's a good idea. It's something I've been uh, rolling around for a while. So we'll send some emails about that. Oh, yeah. No, and I, I, I'm obviously, if I'm going to be doing it for, uh, for my daughter, uh, why not uh, develop some resources for others as well? Uh, so I'm, I'm very into, I used to work in a daycare in my, uh, when I was younger. So I'm pretty good at, uh, at dealing with kids. And of course, I barely outgrow them intellectually or at least emotionally. <laughs> so we, we are on the same level that way. So I'm looking at doing something like that. And uh, th those are really, I mean, as a, as a new dad, my days are pretty consumed with parenting. But those are the things uh, that I have. Uh, plus, of course, I have my Sunday show every 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. People can just drop by the chat room on the website if they want to join in. So continued listener conversations, continued philosophical series, the true news stuff, new book, uh, Philosophy for Kiddies. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's what's on the burners uh, on the uh, right on. Uh, entirely too many well, burner oven of Steph. Uh, yeah, I hear that. Let's uh, let's talk about let's talk about the big dreams, the big wishes. What are the uh, what are the big ideas that uh, Stefan Molyneux got that, you know, maybe five, 10 year, 20 year goal or whatever? Oh, sure. you know? What are what are the big problems? What's, what's the big idea here? Well, I, I think um, I think that most people live lives of quiet desperation. I go with Socrates that the unexamined life is not worth living. So. I also think that when you awaken a mind uh, from its torpor, as mine was awakened by other philosophers and, and uh, as I hope to awaken other people's minds, you, you absolutely light up the world, right? It's like uh, from the view from Free Domain Radio is like if you've ever been on a hillside when the power has been out in a city and then the power starts to come back up and the grids come on and the lights come on and, and the, uh, the searchlights come on. Uh, that's what it looks like when you are, uh, uh, from the vantage point that I have, seeing minds light up around the world with the joy and power of philosophy. Uh, so as long as I can keep that, those fires burning, that electricity running through people's minds, you know, a, a mind once stretched by a new idea never regains its original shape and dimension. And when you mm. teach people how to think rather than what to think, there's no limit to the amount of wonderful and amazing stuff they can come up with. So for me, to simply be able to continue doing this uh, uh, absolutely 
uh, amazing uh, a thing of being able to engage people's minds, to teach them how to think and to watch their lives and their relationships light up with the joy and power of truth and virtue. That is a life that could not be lived better, from my opinion. Uh, and so as long as I get to keep doing that, and uh, I'm happy to travel and talk and engage with people as far as that goes. So uh, more of the same uh, with uh, more personal engagement with people is uh, where I want to head. And I think that is an unstoppable force. Once people think, they will always, through reason, come to truth, virtue, and happiness. And so just getting that, that, those sparks flying to light up the tinderbox of people's minds is all that I want to do. Absolutely. Stephen Molyneux. Well, I applaud your efforts, sir. Uh, I couldn't be uh, more happy with this conversation. I think you've been really candid uh, with your responses. Um, you know, uh, I, I just really, really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk to you. Uh, we've been consuming your media now for, for some time. And uh, so often, you know, people people get a little bit of popularity or or, you know, a little bit of attention and they become inaccessible to the grassroots. And. Uh, that's one of the indicators for me personally uh, uh, into the character of the of, of the speaker whose opinion that, that I'm spending my attention on is uh, how accessible are they to the grassroots and and to uh, the idea that you know I could contact you and say hey let's do a show together and and expose my listeners to these ideas and you're like cool do it Saturday man <laughs> wait sorry are you telling me this isn't CNN I can't believe it my agent misbooked me I'll be in my trailer I can't work like this. Sorry, no, that's that's great. Uh, no, listen, I mean, I uh, I hope that I'm uh, I hope that I'm never uh, that vainglorious that uh, I can't speak to people uh, who have uh, similar values and who I really re you know respect their communication skills and the approach that they're taking, which is you guys. So absolutely, you know, I mean, <laughs> I hope that I'm <laughs> never that big that that becomes an option because it is uh, it is at this level that the real traction is occurring. Yeah, yeah, it really is the grassroots. All power is derived from the earth. And uh, that's where I get my um, my uh, private property paradigm from, and you know all that stuff. Uh, we've got about a minute thirty seconds left in the prog in the program. Stefan, would you tell us one more time where you're going to be with Michael Beck, Derek, uh, just real soon? Absolutely. Uh, it is. Um, you can go to www.freedomainradio.com. There's a link on the homepage. July the fourth and the fifth in Philadelphia. Uh, I think we're part of a tea party, and uh, on Sunday, Michael Batanarek and I will be having a rousing and exciting debate. Absolutely, you want to be there for that. That is going to be a lot of fun and very electric, I think, at Drexel uh, University. And uh, if you want to see a previous speech of mine, freedomainradio.com, there's a link to my speech at the New Hampshire. I think you can see how much the audience enjoyed it, and we only had to cut it short because the room uh, was, uh, was needed for something else. And um, uh, tons of tons of stuff that people can download uh, that they can listen to uh, on the go. Uh, so uh, I really do thank you guys for the opportunity to speak. I also wanted to thank uh, your listeners who had some fantastic questions and uh, you guys who had, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sweating. This is the amount of energy that I had to. <laughs> like I'm, I'm basically walking back and forth in a pool uh, here because uh, wow. you guys had some fantastic <laughs> questions. And I really do appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak to, to you guys who are obviously very smart and to your listeners who seem, who not seem, are very smart as well. So it was a, it was a great workout for me and I really do appreciate the opportunity. Thanks yes. a lot, man. Thank We're you for joining us. Um, rest of the day today on Oracle, we got that Cordite Country um, after the Iconoclast Report uh, coming up next right here on Oracle Broadcasting. And make sure you catch Oracle Unleashed tonight at 1 a.m. Eastern. All right. Thanks Your again, guys. I must run. Great job. Thanks. I Thank you very it. much, Stefan. We appreciate that, man. Thank you, man. Thank you very much. We'll be in, we'll be in touch. Life Extension Nutrition.